Good morning, my name is Linda Keller, and today I'm going to be reading the scriptures for us. We are reading out of Haggai. Chris and I have a little conflict on how to pronounce that word. Haggai 1, 1 through 13, and you can find that in your pew Bible on page 791. I'll give you a few moments to turn to that if you like. Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai, there I go again, Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Let me repeat that. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I'll probably say it lots of different ways. A little Christmas gift here in a moment. All right. Hey, well, again, welcome. If you uh, 
are new with us. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors, and we're trying out a new mic. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Hey, uh, welcome. Maybe you're like, uh, come to Christmas just a couple, come to Christmas, come to church a couple times a year. I'll bet maybe you've not heard this as a Christmas text before. Let me explain kind of how we got here. We're in a series on the minor prophets. They are during the 8th through the 5th, or through the 6th century BC. It's a time in God's uh, history where his people are struggling with all kinds of things. Uh, they're struggling with their own indulgence, their own sinfulness, their own brokenness. There's brokenness around them that they're wrestling with. They're wondering why God hasn't fulfilled the promises that he's made the way they thought that he would. And in the middle of that, he keeps giving them hope and promising to come and rescue and redeem. So as you think about those themes, and you think about your own life, think about a right view of who God is and how we understand how he fits into our world and being honest about the brokenness that we feel and, and being invited into something that would give us a deeper hope, the prophets have a really relevant word to us. And so we plan to kind of work our way through these 12 minor prophets. They're just minor because of how long they are, but all of them have this pointer to Jesus. Even this text, though you may not have seen a specific reference to a passage that we normally quote at Christmas time, the idea here of God dwelling with us, of, of God making a place for us to meet with him, is all about Jesus. So let me just kind of spoiler alert here at the front. Haggai is a story, is a message, is an oracle, is a prophetic word to us about our need for Jesus. And it's a warning about the way we normally look to other stuff rather than to Jesus to make ourselves okay. That's essentially the theme of Haggai, 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 however you want to say it. That's essentially the message there. And what we're going to see this morning is that God does what he normally does, which is both um, confronts and comforts. Kids, I have a packet here for you. There's a colored sheet that has some passages on there that Miss Linda read and some blanks. If you want to have that out, I'll kind of talk you through some of that this morning, but you can fill in some, some spaces. But we're, we're looking at around 520 BC, which means God's people have now come back from exile. So we started earlier on, several months ago, in the 8th century BC, where God was warning his people, hey, if you don't repent, if you don't turn to me, I will send you into exile as a way of disciplining you, as a way of reminding you of your need for me, as a way of reminding you that you can't just live any way you want in this world and be okay. So God puts in place for his people a discipline, almost the way a parent does to a child to say, hey, this way of living is not going to work. It's going to bring you pain. So God uses the exile to um, bring about this repentance and this uh, welcome of his people back to himself. So that's where it starts. Then around 586 BC, that actually happened. Babylon came in like God had been warning, took away God's people into exile, which means they were prisoners. Uh, they went into Babylon. They lived in that city. They were there for 70 years. And now they've come back into God's promised land where they desired to be the entire time, and things aren't exactly the way they hoped they would be. So Haggai writes to a people who have worked all their way through the warning and then the repentance, and now they're trying to live out their regular life, figuring out where does God fit into this space. And what we see is that they're really struggling. They've been longing to be back in this land, but as they get back, the temple has been destroyed. The place where they, they meet with God has been torn down, and they're charged to rebuild it, and we find out that it's harder than they thought it was going to be. Look in chapter 1, verse 1. It's on page 791. It says this, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first month of, uh, of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel. 
the son of Shealti, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet and said, Is it time for you to build your own houses with these panels, this luxurious space? Is that what time it is while my house lies in ruin? Seems strange to us, but understand the temple in that day was where they met with God. It was meant to be the center of everything for them. It's to say, this is where we are identified as God's people. It's how we relate to Him. It's where the sacrifices were to happen. So for the temple to not yet be rebuilt and for them to be focusing on their own lives and houses rather than the temple of the Lord isn't just like a real estate issue. It's a relationship issue. They're saying, God, I know we're here in your land. You've brought us back, but we need to take care of ourselves. We're going to start with what's going on in our own lives. We're going to build our own houses first. And history tells us that they had begun work on the temple, and it was just harder than they thought. It was going to take longer than they thought. It was more expensive than they thought. There was more opposition than they thought. It was harder to do what they were supposed to do than they thought it was going to be. So they turned inward to taking care of their own families, their own homes, their own situations. Just stop for a second. Let me invite you to consider your life laid over that story. Here is God meant to be the gravitational center of the universe, the one who created us, made us, the one who owns everything. Something inside your heart that knows that and longs to actually be connected to him, and yet you find holiness harder. You find faithfulness harder. You find prayer harder. You find, find walking with people in ways that match God's word harder than simply taking care of yourself doing doing what you want there's a way here that Haggai exposes for us the temptation of all of our hearts to want to build and take care of ourselves and you can put yourself in their shoes like you put yourself in your own shoes and realize all of the pain all the tragedy all the loss sets you up to believe you have to take care of yourself God let them go into exile after all God let them kind of go through all these difficult things there's now a season of drought in this space and so there's a temptation when things aren't going well to look inward and say hey I've got to take care of me that's the first thing that God exposes and the word I want to use there is he confronts them with that so kids if you're on your spaces there you see a number one there's some spaces that are missing those missing letters would spell out the word confronts what he does is wants to expose this idea that what they're doing actually won't bring life to them. So look at in verse 5. Here's how he says this. Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much. You're working really hard, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but still you're not warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes in it. He confronts them first by saying your desire to care for yourself, to take care of yourself, to make yourself okay, really to save yourself is actually empty. It has a hole in it. It it falls out of the bottom. You keep working hard, but it's never actually enough. Kids, at the top of your page there, I, I wonder if you could write this sentence down. Everything in life has a hole in it. Everything has a hole in it. Everything that you try to do your job, your school, your relationships, your bank account, everything that you try to build to cover yourself, feed yourself, clothe yourself, warm yourself, take care of yourself, has a hole in it. It always tends to fall out of the bottom. And and as it falls out, it 
helps us to know there's something more that we need. So when he exposes this, he's not just rubbing their face in the fact that they've, they've tried hard and come up short. What he's saying is it's actually not designed to satisfy. It's not designed to help and rescue you, both because the world we live in is fallen and broken, and the text goes on to say God himself is the one who's actually making this thing harder. It says he sent drought, and he sent plague, and he sent mildew their way. And you're like, man, I thought this was Christmas, I thought this was encouraging, I thought this was a time where God gives good gifts. And what he's doing in this space is confronting these people with their self-desire to take care of and save themselves in such a way that he's frustrating all their attempts to that end. He's basically saying the more you try to clothe yourself, feed yourself, take care of yourself, the more frustrated you're going to be. Because everything has a hole in it and he says i've actually designed it that way and i'm working to expose the fact that these things would never actually rescue you everything in life has a hole in it kids i want to give you an illustration here in a second but let me just ask the adults would you survey your life think about your relationships your jobs think about money think about stuff you've purchased think about experiences think about accomplishments doesn't all of it have a hole in it doesn't it all like expire over time? Doesn't all of it fade over time? Isn't it always not quite enough? You could use a simple illustration of Christmas presents. Like, what did you get two years ago? Nobody knows. And if you can't remember, it's lost value by now, right? The thing you longed for now has a hole in it. It has something that's lacking and missing. Christmas confronts us with the idea that this entire world has a hole in it. And everything just tends to fall out of the bottom. And Haggai tells us that God himself is the one who actually does that. He's the one who actually makes that happen. When you drop down into verse 9 and to 10, he says, like, like, why have you done this? He says, everything lies in ruin. He's doing this so that you would actually turn to the God of heaven. Let me kind of walk through this a little bit as an illustration. Hey, Caleb, can I get your help? Would you help me for a second? I thought you'd be excited about this. This is my friend Caleb Loney. All right, Caleb. You gotta, they never clap for me. Uh, way to go. All right, hey, so I've got a couple things up here. I've got a bucket, and I've got a bag, and I've got a cup. All right, so I just said that everything in life has a hole in it. You heard me say that. Great job. Would you pick that bucket up? Is there anything special about that bucket? It's kind of rubbish. It's rubbish on the bottom. Do you see the bottom of it? What's going on there? There's a couple of holes in it. You know why? Because everything has a hole in it. Okay, so Caleb, here's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to pour something into this bucket. When I pour water in the bucket, what do you think is going to happen? The water is going to go into there. You think so? You think it's going to leak? Mm-hmm. But it's a bucket. You don't think the bucket will hold the water? Nope, because it has holes in it. Because it has holes in it. Because everything has a hole in it. And when you pour something in something with a hole in it, well, let's just see what happens. All right. So it's not super important. It's just water. But if you could try to aim it over that other bucket... <laughs> That would be helpful. Okay, so it's just regular water, a regular bucket. What's happening, Caleb? The water is falling. It is? Am I spilling it, or is it actually from that bucket? Can you lift it up a little bit? So those holes in there are making the water drain out. Did you hear this passage where he says, there's a hole in your bag, everything you put in there is draining out of there. Now, what if the holes were smaller? Do you think it would still drain out of there? It would take longer, but it would still drain out. Hey, would you give Caleb a hand? Hey, if, 
if you're visiting, I've never done anything like this in my entire life. So this is like, this is a big deal. Caleb, you're, you're very helpful to me. You can put it down inside that bucket if you want. It should just sit there. Okay, now I have a bag. Now it's a special bag. It has Paw Patrols on it. Are you, are you a Paw Patrol fan? No, but Steven might be your brother. Oh, so you're saying you're like, you've outgrown Paw Patrol. Is that what you're saying? Okay, well. Do you believe if I told you you can buy two of these for $1.25 at Dollar Tree? What? Isn't that amazing? These are high-quality high quality items. Okay, now this is a Paw Patrol bag, but is there anything special about this bag? Look it over. Two really big holes. It has holes in it because everything has holes in it. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to hold this like that kind of over that bucket. Yeah. Hey, so I have some marble. Right, so we had water in a bucket. Now this is marbles into a bag. Now when I pour these marbles into that bag, what do you think is going to happen? The marbles are going to drop through and get into the bag. Why do you think that? Because um, the marbles are just the same size as these holes and they're going to fall through. Do you think so? Because everything has holes in it. When you pour something in something with holes in it, it falls out the bottom. Hey, I think we're catching on. Okay, here we go. So this is Paw Patrol bag experiment number two. Here comes some marbles. What do you think? <laughs> and if it shakes, more falls out for the illustration. You can leave those in there. So not everything fell out the first time, but a lot of them fell out. Okay. Hey, you're doing great, man. You can drop that bag in there. Okay. Finally, I have a cup. All right. We look at that cup over. Anything special about that cup? It has three holes in it. It has three holes, just like, just like that other one. Okay. And then I have some fake snow. Okay. So this is much lighter. It's different than water. It's different than water. Those are kind of heavy. This is this is pretty light. What do you think is going to happen if I pour fake snow into that cup? It's going to fall through because everything has holes in it. Because everything has a hole in it. Okay, so I'm going to pour a little bit of fake snow in there. Uh, I didn't test this before, so we'll just see how this goes. This is live in the moment. Only the best in your whole community church. Live, live action. Here we go. There's some snow. What happens there? A little bit fell out. A little bit fell out. Can you shake it a little bit? What happens when you shake it? Yeah, there you go. Some more falls out. Why is it falling out? Because everything has holes in it, and things with holes in it, things fall out of them. Hey, would you give Caleb a hand? Like, great job, but you can just put it down inside there. Thanks, dude. Hey, would you grab those two marbles so no one slips on them on the way to communion? Thanks, dude. You can leave those right there. Thanks, man. Hey, give Caleb one more hand. Okay, so he says, you've tried to build your life, but everything has a hole in it. You've tried to clothe yourself, you've tried to feed yourself, you've tried to take care of yourself, you've worked really hard, he says. You've put everything into a bag, but the bag has a hole. Friends, Advent is the invitation to be honest about the fact that everything in our life has a hole in it. It's not something uniquely wrong with you. You didn't just blow it. There's no need for a specific kind of shame. It is the human condition. And what this text tells us is that God is actively working in our life so that we don't get confused that we could actually save ourselves. Jesus talks in His uh, teachings in the New Testament about the danger of wealth. And when you have enough, like if you just kind of kept pouring into those buckets a ton and a ton and a ton, even if it had a hole in it, you may not notice that for quite a while. Jesus says, hey, those who have a lot of wealth, it's hard for them to come into the kingdom because they have a hard time seeing their need. And God's mercy, what He's doing to these people is exposing their need so that they would turn to Him. So, so it confronts us with the fact that we try to build a life for ourselves. Again, in contrast to the temple. 
Again, it's not about real estate, it's about relationship. It's about us turning to God as the one who would actually satisfy and heal and save. And God's people have this pattern when they're in a jam, when things are bad, when they're being attacked, they tend to repent and turn to God. And then when they settle in, things go well, their bank accounts rise a little bit, they get a promotion, there seems to be peace, they tend to just go about their business and almost even forget about the very God who rescued and saved them. Hey, that might describe you this morning. It might describe you that things are going well enough, you may not notice that there's actually a hole in everything you're trying to build. But the Bible is really clear, in a fallen and broken world, there is nothing in this life that could actually satisfy the longings of your heart, which is why Jesus came into our world. So so the first thing that happens is it confronts. The second thing that happens in this text is it comforts. So kids are filling out spaces there. The second point is that it comforts us. What God does is He's going to move towards telling them not just that there's a hole in everything and that it's His mercy to put a hole there so we don't get lulled into thinking that we could save ourselves. He's actually going to say in the middle of everything having a hole in it, I'm going to be with you. Did you see that? And I love that Miss Linda read it actually twice. Drop down to verse 13. Kids, it's on your packet there. The last phrase is bolded there on that page. It says this, The messenger of the Lord spoke to the people, the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. Okay, Christmas is the good news that even though there's a hole in everything, God still loves us and He's with us in the middle of it. Because here's the great news of Christmas. Everything has a hole in it except Jesus. Everything has a hole. Everything will fail. Everything drops out the bottom. Everything fades. Everything loses what you first put into it except Jesus. And because of that, when He promises to be with us, it's this promise to actually dwell which is what the temple was about. The temple is about God dwelling with His people. They've neglected the temple, like most of us in our lives have kind of said, hey, I'll get to that later. I'm going to build my own kingdom first. I'm going to build my own job first. I'm going to build my own house first, my own family first, my own relationships first. I'll get to God later. Even in the middle of that, He promises to be with them. God has this merciful expression of His extravagant love for us that He is with us even in our rebellion even in our brokenness even in our seeking something besides him these people have tried to build their own houses and he says even in that space i am going to be with you and as he talks through that he says as they continue to build the temple they're actually going to be frustrated by the temple if you come into chapter 2 of haggai as they lay the first foundation you see in verse 3 of chapter 2 that those who who left their in that space, who'd seen the previous temple, who'd saw it in its former glory, he asked, how do you see this temple now? How do you see this new temple? You can tell the floor plan. You can see how big it's going to be. And then he says, is it not as nothing in your eyes? Those who saw the previous temple that got torn down, now God's going to rebuild it. He's calling them to do that. And the one that they're building still won't satisfy. Even the temple has a hole in it. Even the place where they would go to worship God won't be enough to fully satisfy. He says, isn't it like nothing in your eyes? Verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people in the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Christmas is the good news that God keeps His covenant promise 
to be with His people, to come and dwell with them. Now what's going to happen in the rest of the book is God's going to say to Zerubbabel, this king, hey, I'm going to give you now the authority. I'm going to give you now my representation on this world. And people would wonder, man, is Zerubbabel going to be the one who's going to make all things new? Is Zerubbabel going to be the one who was promised? Is he, is he the Messiah? And what we'll see is that he will die and things still aren't the way they're supposed to be. But when you come in the New Testament in the book of Matthew and in Luke, you see a genealogy of Jesus that names Zerubbabel, and you see that Jesus is in that family line, and God is keeping His promise to come and actually rescue and redeem. He comforts His people with the fact that even in their rebellion, He's going to dwell with them. And at this point, you should be asking, so what does this have to do with Christmas? Like you said, this is a Christmas text. You said it was about Jesus. We're talking a ton about the temple. What does this have to do with Jesus? Look, look at Haggai 2.9. Kids, it's in your little packet there if you want to see there. I just asked the question, what does this have to do with Jesus? Haggai 2.9 says this. It says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former one, says the Lord of hosts. And in that place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, I already told you when they see the footprint of the temple, they're, they're really sad and disappointed. And then God says here in this place, hey, the, the later glory, the more glory that's to come is going to be greater than what it was before, and I will give you peace. So God's people stand in this space. They've been confronted about their brokenness. They've been comforted about God being with them. And they're now hearing that God is going to bring peace, but it doesn't seem to be happening. It will take 500 years from this moment for God to bring His promise to fruition when He sends this baby to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. Because you know in Isaiah chapter 9, it gives some titles for who the Messiah will be, and one of them is that He's going to be the Prince of Peace. The Messiah is going to come and bring about the peace that this passage talks about. And in John 1.14, the text tells us that, that God came through His Son into the world, took on flesh, and He dwelt among us. It's the same language you would use about being in the tabernacle or being in the temple to actually take up residence to be with God's people. He promised to be in their midst. And the New Testament tells us the way God was going to do that wasn't through a physical temple. It was through His very Son, Jesus. He came into the world to take on flesh, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death we should have died. Because even the physical temple has a hole in it. Everything has a hole in it except Jesus. And Jesus comes, and there's a couple of really important passages. Kids, they're just listed at the bottom of your sheets. Adults, if you don't have one, let me give you some references here. In Matthew 12, 6, Jesus says that He is greater than the temple. Okay, This text says there's going to be a future glory that's greater than the past glory. The temple that's actually built pales in comparison to the former temple that was torn down. They live in the tension of that space. And so Jesus comes and says, He is greater than the temple. In John 2.19, Jesus has the audacity to say, Hey, tear this temple down, and in three days I'm going to raise it up again. They lose their minds in that space, and it's, it's taken decades to build this temple. And Jesus is saying, No, no, about my body, this temple where God meets with you, I will be raised in three days after my death. In Matthew 27, 51, we learn that at Jesus' death on the cross, the veil in the temple is torn. So we have access to God. 
Ephesians 2 tells us that in God's broken body, the broken body of Jesus, he's made peace for us and has made a place for us to actually dwell with God through the work of Jesus. And then we come to Revelation. We see at the very, very end of this thing, Revelation 21.20, it says there's no need for a temple anymore because God is there as the Lamb in their midst. Okay, what Haggai is pointing to is the promise that God was making to come Himself to solve our biggest problem. Because everything has a hole in it except for Jesus. And Christmas is the good news that confronts the world around us and comforts us in that world that the very thing we need and long for, God has promised to do. He came once as this baby. He's coming again as the one who will make all things new and fully restore everything. Jesus is greater than the temple. He's the way that we actually meet with God. He is the one who actually provides for us and gives us hope. And Haggai points that direction. And he says it's not just for God's people. Throughout this letter, there's these references to the nations. The nations will come. They're going to flock from everywhere into God's temple. And we know that Jesus had a mission to rescue not just the Jewish people, the people of Israel, but, but the entire world world. John 3.16 says that God so loved the whole world that He sent His Son into the world to dwell here, to be this place where we meet with God, to welcome and rescue everybody in. In that space, there's an invitation at Christmas to be honest about the things we've tried to fill our life with, to just stop for a moment and acknowledge the holes that exist in our jobs, our bodies, our relationship, our money, our achievement, our reputation, our accomplishment, all the stuff that we would long for. And then it comforts us that there's one that doesn't have any holes. There's one that can actually hold you. There's one that doesn't leak, that doesn't fade, that doesn't spoil. There's one, the eternal God of the universe, who came into your world, lived the life you should have lived, died a death you should have died, to rescue and redeem you. So Christmas confronts and it comforts. Haggai confronts and it comforts. My goal this morning was to confront and to comfort. Because God says these things not to rub our face in the fact that what we're trying to do isn't working. He says it as an invitation. Every warning in Scripture is an invitation to God. I don't know how you see God, but He came into our world to rescue and redeem, and He gave His very life to make these promises true. The way that He could dwell with us for forever wasn't through a physical temple. That thing had proven to be unreliable. It was proven to be able to be torn down. It was proven to have holes in it. It wasn't a physical temple. We needed something more, and Jesus comes as the greater temple, the greater place where we would meet with God. And that's the good news of Christmas, that the baby came to dwell here. We sing a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. God God with us. In that space, Jesus is the one who fulfills the promises of this book, I want to encourage you with that. Everything has holes in it. It's okay to be honest about that. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't have holes, so you can turn to Him. Hey, kids, as an activity during communion, here's a little box on the side there. I'd love for you just to like draw a bag. You could think about putting things inside that bag, stuff that's valuable to you, stuff that was important to you, stuff that mattered to you. You could think about putting them inside that bag, and then after you've drawn it, would you just like draw a little hole at the bottom of that bag? And maybe you could imagine whatever you put inside that bag coming out of that hole. And then maybe as we engage with communion, you could write across that bag 
the word everything or all? Because everything has a whole. It's not just the stuff in your life. It's the entire world apart from God. And He wants to actually rescue and redeem. So while we take communion, kids, I'd love for you to draw a picture there. Those of you who are trusting in Christ, I'd love for you to come and take communion. It's the physical reminder that Jesus came into our world to solve our biggest problem, that He dwelt through His broken body and shed blood in such a way that makes a way for us to be with God. Christmas is the declaration that God solved our biggest problem through this baby, and your biggest problem was your uncleanliness. It was your sin and your brokenness. There's an illustration in Haggai about that. If you read it this week, maybe you were confused. He's simply saying everything you touch turns unclean apart from Jesus. So we needed one who was going to come and make us clean. God's solution to our problem wasn't you trying harder. wasn't you getting another bucket. wasn't you getting someone else's bucket. It was you turning to Jesus because He's the only one who doesn't have a hole. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? As we get ready for communion, I want to invite you just to be honest. You can bring your longings to Jesus. You can bring your pains to Jesus. Let this text confront you, but also let it comfort you. Because what it speaks of has already happened, and God promises to do even more when His Son returns to make all things new. So you could just pray during this time. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to come and take communion. The way we take communion here is we tear a piece of the bread off and we dip it in the cup. If you're trusting Jesus as the one who doesn't have any holes, the one who's reliable, the one who could rescue, the one who could save, if you stop trying to save yourself, then you're a Christian. And you're welcome to come and take communion regardless of your background or tradition. Again, we tear a piece of the bread off and we dip it in the cup. The bread represents Christ's broken body. And the cup represents his shed blood, which is how God kept his promises. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to stay in your seat and pray. You can ask God to speak to you. There's prayers in the back of your bulletin that would give you some examples of what it would sound like to pray. You can just pray and ask for God to come and help in this moment. Is it real? Maybe you could be honest about your life. You could survey. This text says everything has a hole in it. You could just ask, is that true? Do you experience that? Is there enough coming in that you don't notice the holes, but they're actually there? You could just survey that for a bit. And Christians and non-Christians alike, if you want someone to pray with you or pray for you, there are people in the back. So if you go in the hallway, out the, out the door to the right, there's folks there who would love to pray with you. They could pray with you about what you're struggling with. They could pray with you asking for God's help. If you want to know what it's like to trust Jesus, they'll talk to you about that. So both Christians and non-Christians, you're welcome to go back uh, to have prayer this morning. But if you are a follower of Christ, I want to invite you to come. There's gluten-free here in the middle and then all these stations down the aisle. Let me pray for us and then we'll come. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for what you came to do. Thank you that you have no holes. You're eternal. You're glorious. You're beautiful. You're reliable. You're, you're the kind of God who holds the entire universe in your hands and you're mindful of us. So be mindful of us now in this moment in ways that we can experience so we can turn to you. You've confronted us. Now would you comfort us with the good news of what you did on the cross to make it possible for us to dwell with you for forever. Fill the room with faith, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come when you're ready. Mm.